All right. Well, good morning again, church family. My name is Kyle Reschke, and I serve as one of our pastors here on staff at Wheaton Bible Church. And if you're a visitor with us this morning, an extra warm welcome for you. My encouragement to you is uh, keep coming back. Make yourself not a visitor anymore. Uh, I love this church. I think this is a great uh, place to join and be part of a church family who's worshiping and glorifying God together. Um, So this morning, I I have been looking forward all week to Palm Sunday. Uh, Our our children's choir, our celebrations as as we prepare uh, to celebrate Easter Sunday in this incredibly pivotal day and week ahead. And we're actually continuing in our, in our Matthew series, No Break for Palm Sunday. And I was worried about what that would entail, but then read the passage and said, what a beautiful message for Palm Sunday. These complement one another so well. Because the branches you just saw are kids waving. Those represent welcoming Jesus on this important Sunday, welcoming him as a coming king, as the promised Savior and Messiah. That is so important because when he goes to the cross on Friday, because he is exactly those things, king, Savior, Messiah, it means that his sacrifice is perfect. And in the perfection of that sacrifice, the fullest, deepest, most profound, here's the word for today, forgiveness that the world has ever known or ever will know was accomplished. And it was accomplished at great cost, which we'll talk about today, but accomplished. So this morning, I need some honesty from you all as I have a few questions. First one is simple. Show of hands here, how many of you uh, feel that our world could use a little more forgiveness? Okay, you're all with me. A little more personal now. Show of hands again, who here today has ever uh, messed up, fallen short of perfection? Every, good, everybody's honest. Okay, um, who here just elbowed your spouse or your kid and said, listen up, Pastor Kyle's talking to you? Okay. Four honest people here. You may be right, but as you're the one who is still keeping that record of wrong, this sermon's for you too. Gotcha. So as we've been talking about these last couple of weeks, Pastor Hannibal has been guiding us through Matthew 18. Um, For the next few chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, there's a hyper-focus on what the community of faith is supposed to look like. What are the key concepts and what are the lifestyles or the markers of who God calls us to be? Messy, sinful people, but redeemed by him and doing this whole church family thing together. And so this is the key, something that will be a deep mark of the community of faith. We both need to receive it all the time, experience it all the time, and extend it all the time. And I think Jesus makes this so clear because I think we mess it up so much. It's forgiveness. So pay attention here, a disclaimer. As I start here today, this is a massive subject. Forgiveness. It's massive. 
The 10 different ways I had this week that, that this sermon could go. Oh, do we look at restoration practices and reconciliation practices and five steps towards this or 10 steps towards this? And um, it is so big, but the thing that was convicting to me is that this is, I would argue, Jesus' easiest to understand parable. And yet it's the one that we seem to have the most trouble practicing with one another. So I believe in and see that deep healing and restoration are possible. And so beautiful, and I will argue today, give such glory to God to a watching world when forgiveness is extended and restoration um, occurs. And at the same time, I want to acknowledge that wounds... Hurts go deep, take a long time to heal. Forgiveness is something that can be indescribably challenging and costly. So leading to that restoration can be years, decades, or even lifetimes in their formation. So while I can't give all of that in one sermon today, what I hope to do is to show us, as Jesus does in the parable, what the kingdom of God looks like and how that reveals his heart, who he is, why we need him, and the unfathomable depths of the beauties of his forgiveness. So if we can do that, what we're going to look to do is to place our story, and that may be of sin, mistakes, fallen short of perfection, hurt, wrong, bitterness into the bigger story. And make no mistake, it is a bigger story of Jesus and of perfect forgiveness. Because it's there where freedom and healing is found, gives glory to God, and again, I'll argue today is a witness to a watching world. You with me so far? All right. Thank you all. First service, it, it took a little bit. I'll say, side note, so I, I preach more often overseas than I do here at Wheaton Bible Church, and there's a practice in worship in much of the rest of the world. Um, let's just call it freedom of expression, okay? So feel free in our interaction, okay, during this time for the amens or my personal favorite hallelujahs. So here's where we're headed. We're going to walk through the scripture today. Forgiveness. What is it? Why do we need it? How do we get it? What do we do with it? Four points today. And I know this is like way out of the norm. Hannibal is nothing if not consistent at three. Who of you fell out of your chair last week when he only had two? I was one of them. So, four today to average out the two, all is right with the world, an average of three here at Wheaton Bible Church, okay? So, point number one, forgiveness, what is it? We're going to go directly to the Bible for these um, because all of the cultural views of forgiveness, I believe, are either incomplete or incorrect. But we find the usage of, a, of two terms for forgiveness all over the New Testament. Um, they convey this concept in multiple dimensions. So in forgiveness, there is a vertical dimension. That's between God and humanity. There is an internal dimension. That's our receipt from God of forgiveness. And then, as we'll also talk about today, there is a horizontal. That's us with one another in the family of faith, okay? 
So these two terms carry all of those dimensions with it. The first, karizomai. This contains the root word in Greek, charis. Charis is grace. Why is this so important utilized as as conveying the concept of forgiveness? Grace actually means that you are offering something that may not necessarily be earned or merited. To act with someone in a gracious manner, to extend them grace, means that they may not have earned it. And in that way, it can be challenging. It can be costly because grace is given at the expense of the giver and not of the recipient. So that's the first. The second is another term, and this one is actually more common, and it's the one that's in our passage today, aphesis. And this is used most commonly in the New Testament 40 times. It means to release someone from a legal obligation or debt. So this is all over the Gospels. It it means a debt is canceled by the creditor. So a very practical example here, a debt that many uh, in this room may have and would wish is forgiven. Mortgages. If you have a mortgage, this type of forgiveness is acknowledging You owe this much money on your mortgage and interest for this long of a time. This type of forgiveness is like a letter from your loan officer or mortgage company saying, oh man, and how great would this be if this letter arrived? We have decided to pay off your mortgage in full. Now, What does that carry with it? Now, great for the recipient, right? Zero balance on the mortgage. But that also carries with it a cost for the giver. Somebody needed to pay that. Your mortgage company is absorbing that cost. They are not going to get that payment from you. So it's the acknowledgement of that indebtedness. So both are true. The grace Um, And here, the the remission or the the forgiveness, the cancellation of a debt. This is the one that shows up in Matthew chapter 6, one of the most famous prayers ever prayed. At the end of the Lord's Prayer, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, or as we forgive our debtors. Or different translations, different times, our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Or forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is the term used. So listen from here to what it is and what it is not as a process, as forgiveness. In verses 15 to 20, there's a whole playbook in our passage today of confronting sin in the church. I'm actually not going to live much there today. I'm going to live more in our parable. But the lessons all the way through, what is forgiveness? First, it's calling sin, sin. It's calling wrongdoing, wrongdoing. It's not excusing it, sweeping it under the rug, or being a doormat for someone continuing to sin against you. No, both of those definitions said this is costly. It is hard. There has been a wrong done that needs to be made right. Second, it acknowledges that there are consequences. Why does Jesus tell the church to confront sin in the church? 
Because man, if that's not confronted, it festers. And we even find today the the debtor who owes, who gets thrown into prison originally from the king. Not just him. His family. Wife and kids. So there are consequences to sin. There are consequences to wrongdoing. But third, here is where the challenge really begins. It is not a feeling. Forgiveness is obedience. So as we'll talk about today, that obedience can be hard and costly. It was interesting to me today, there's a verse in our passage that we uh, might have in our kitchen or over our uh, uh, living room or dining room tables, and it's a beautiful sentiment, a beautiful thought, and it's like, where two or three are gathered in my name, and there I am with them. And Jesus does say that, and it, and, and it is meant to be comforting amongst believers who are gathered together. I don't know if you've ever known, noticed this, Jesus gives that reminder pretty much always before he tells his followers that there's something hard coming. I will be with you. As I command you to be the most forgiving people on earth who have known my forgiveness. Kind of a different spin on that comforting verse, right? But at the end of the day, Jesus still gives it and he says, as you go to do this thing that is hard, I am with you. Fourth, it has a goal of restoration um, and restoration that points to the fullness of the gospel. When there has been wrong done that has separated either us from God or us from one another and restoration has come, that brings glory to God. And lastly, there is a relationship between how much someone has been forgiven and how much they love. In Luke 7, 47, Jesus declares, whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. So, look with me at verse 21 as we finish up this section of what is it. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. So coming out of this, how many times must I forgive a brother or a sister? Peter asks a good question. If we're honest, probably one that we would ask. Jesus, are there limits to forgiveness? Are there limits? Lord, can you please give me a reason to not offer forgiveness in this circumstance or that circumstance? Or Jesus, how will I know when I'm forgiving too much? How will I know? Acknowledging that this whole forgiveness thing is tough. So Peter asks it and he says, would seven times, picture him a little exasperated, And he's being hyperbolic here. Why? The traditional teaching at the time, the rabbis would say three times of premeditated sin and then by the fourth, that's it. That comes from Amos chapter one. So when Peter goes seven, he's going, Jesus, surely double plus a little bit is enough, right? Surely that's the right calculation. And Jesus responds by saying 77 times. In other places, it's actually 70 times 7, so 490. Either way, I want you to see the point here. The number is extremely high. 
No matter which calculation you use, the number is so high, I believe in my study this week, is because by the time you would get that high, forgiveness has to have become a way of life or a disposition of the heart. Maybe one, two, three, four, it's still something, it's not the way of the heart, it's not the disposition, it's not the most natural thing in the world. But once you have forgiven 77 times, it is highly unlikely that by number 78, you go, gotcha, 78, no more coming your way. Caleb, I startled you there, sorry. No, no. By 77 times, forgiveness is a way of life. And so when Peter here is trying to make forgiveness or asking, what are the right calculations? Jesus says, it's not calculations. It's a matter of the heart. And he uses the language of extravagance. Why do I think that? Because Jesus, in case that isn't clear enough with his numbers, then goes into one of his beautiful, brilliant parables to illustrate this. To say, okay, let's get out of the calculations. Let's live in a story. So that is forgiveness, point number one. Point number two, why do we need it? Follow along with me in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. All right. Why do we need forgiveness? I'm going to start with the passage, move to us. Why do we need it? Here's the debt. The servant needed forgiveness of a debt of 10,000 talents. NIV says bags of gold. The, The measure is talent. Talent is the heaviest measure of weight at the time. It's about 75 pounds of a precious metal. So a talent of gold would be 75 pounds of gold. Stick with me here. That means 750,000 pounds of gold. Okay, are you with me? And you may go, Kyle, that's not that much money. If you say that, I have a mortgage bill that you are welcome to (laughs) from earlier. But one talent equals at the same time 6,000 denarii. And that is one day's wage for the average laborer. So if you do this math, 10,000 talents equals, and I've triple-checked this this week, 60 million days of labor. You catch that? 60 million days of labor. If, if we need a little bit more, that's more than 164,000 years of time that this servant may need to pay back the debt. So what's the point? It's an unpayable debt. Not payable in a thousand lifetimes. Jesus uses that terminology to say an impossible sum. The servant cannot pay it. Let's move it to us for a second. Why would we need forgiveness? Or why would we need a debt 
repaid. Well, before a perfectly holy and just God, I'm just going to be extra transparent with you all right now this morning. Let's say that I sin on average uh, one time a day in my life. Thank you, nobody, for laughing. It's, <laughs> it's obviously way more than that, right? But just for the sake of our argument here, 365 days a year, I'm 38 years old, 13,870. Wow, that's a lot. Everyone, I'm a man in need of forgiveness. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about you. Just imagine if my wife kept count, if my coworkers or if my best friends kept count. And just in case we haven't made the connection here, obviously the number is way higher. Standing before God, the Lord who knows every thought I have ever thought, everything I have ever done or didn't do or contemplated, every failure, sin, moment short of perfection, of course that number is uncountable. It's a debt I could never repay. That's why we need it. That's the vertical, that's the internal. The horizontal, why do we need to extend it in our lives together? One, it gives glory to God. Two, as I'll get to in a minute, how much forgiveness we show depends on how much forgiveness we have received. Now, there's all these studies that happen for people at the end of their lives, right? They say, what are, what are the things you regret the most or the things you look back on? And you know the answer that uh, I don't think has ever been declared in one of those studies? I really, really wish, researcher, looking back on this life, that I had been more vengeful. I wish I had retaliated more and really hurt more the people who hurt me? Not an answer we hear. No, the most common regrets are, I wish I had made things right with, fill in the blank. I wish I hadn't held on to that for so long. And so here's the point, bitterness, vengeance, fill in the word, it will eat us alive. I read a quote this week that haunts me, but it's true. Bitterness is like drinking a poison and hoping for the other person to die. Enough said there. So, you're with me. You see why we need it. How do we get it? Follow along with me. What happens next? There's an action by the king. Verse 37. This is my third point. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. So the king in this parable, representing God, took the payment. He took on the liability and the cost. Remember our definition? That was money that would not make it to his treasury. He bore the cost. And I love what happens here next in the story is the servant actually realizes this is unpayable and he begs the king. He begs him for time so he doesn't have it totally correctly. But he throws himself at the mercy of the king, asking for that. And I love because he receives more than patience. He receives mercy. He receives compassion. He receives grace. He receives forgiveness. So this one's pretty simple. 
How do we get it? We come to the end of ourselves. We realize the enormity of the debt, and we who have placed ourselves in our own position of God are doable all by us, take ourselves out of that and say, he is God and I am not, out of the delusion that we could save ourselves, we call our sin, sin, and we throw ourselves at the mercy of the king. Knowing our debt, we could never pay it, but he has promised to. And here we get to it. God is moved by compassion. The king, he declares, I see you in your brokenness, your fallenness, and your rebellion, and I am going to release you from the burden of it. God's promises of redemption. This is what the cross and the empty tomb is all about. The debt will be borne by another. It will actually be taken on by another. The only one who could pay it. Kyle Howe. This is the gospel. When we were full of sin, Jesus Christ was sinless. When we are unrighteous, Jesus was full of righteousness. When we were poor, we see in the scriptures that the richness of heaven arrived in the person of Jesus Christ. So when a great debt that was incurred that no one could possibly pay, the Son of God, the Holy One, pays it. This is Jesus. I felt like he was shaking me this week saying, I am going to that cross to pay that debt. It is so costly and yet I am still going and this will be accomplished. The debt will be repaid and perfect forgiveness accomplished. This is why we as Christians say Jesus is so important. The only way. If there were other ways to pay the debt, have at it. There's not. That's why we believe Jesus is the only way. So read with me. I want you to soak in this this week. I love this from Scripture. Colossians chapter 2, 13 to 14. This is you. This is me. Those of us who are in Christ. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Listen to the language here of our definitions from before. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. How do you get it? Receive it in Jesus. Receive it. Now, do you think that truth, once it is sunk in of how much you have been forgiven as, as you have soaked in that, do you think experiencing that level of perfect love and forgiveness would change you? Of course it would. And Jesus continues the parable, stating the obvious. If you really knew, if you really experienced that forgiveness, of course it would change you. So what do we do with it? The last act of the story opens up in verse 28. This last act of the story opens. The servant has just been forgiven his unpayable debt. And we go, wow. He asked for a patient king, and what he got was a patient and compassionate and forgiving king. 
So as this part of the story uh, opens up, we would expect this to open up on a man who would be like the superhero of forgiveness, right? He would be the Rambo or the Marvel Avengers or the Oprah of forgiveness, given your cultural bent, whatever it may be. But he wraps up the parable with all the things exactly not to do with it, knowing that sin would be our greatest tendency. So verse 28, when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Same words, right? But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay off the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in and said, You wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So, here it is. Exactly what not to do with this. Here's the key. Jesus is saying, don't make the mistake of diminishing the debt that has been paid for you. If it really is as big as it is, You can diminish it. You can outright reject it. And I argue today that this servant didn't just diminish it. The servant outright rejected it. Because if he even had a fraction of the forgiveness that he had received to show to his fellow servant, and it was a fraction of the debt, he would have shown the experience of the king's forgiveness. So here are my points. If you cannot forgive others, then I would argue you don't truly grasp the king's forgiveness. Or framed more positively, if you know the king's forgiveness, then you must show the king's forgiveness. We fall short all the time. And remember, I said at the beginning, I know that forgiveness is a process. It can be so hard, so challenging. Jesus calls it that. And it can be years or lifetimes in coming or in the making. But what I want you to see is God's heart for it, for you. And how that would overflow from you to your brothers and sisters. So how does this play out for me? I would put before you a spiritual practice for us all the time to know the king's forgiveness and then to show the king's forgiveness. And that is as simple as preaching the gospel to ourselves all the time. What do I mean? Here we go. When I feel wronged or actually have been wronged, 
When someone offends me, attacks me, especially someone I love, that post goes up online that I disagree with or that paints a caricature of who I am or who Christ followers are or offends whatever tribe I'm associating with, I can get really heated, if you couldn't tell. I just did. And that anger turns into sin. And what do we cry out for? The eye for an eye. Well, I can wrong them because they wronged me first. Their anger fed my own anger and excuses it, responding in sin and excusing it because that person sinned against me. You see the cycle that spins and spins until we don't even recognize ourselves. And let me ask you, in your marriages, parenting our kids, closest friends and colleagues, brothers and sisters in Christ here at Wheaton Bible Church, when we get caught in that cycle, how does it go for you? How does it go for us? There is no scenario in which ruminating on that or cycling through that turns anything but toxic. There's just no scenario. So here's, I'm going to give you some repeatable ones. Um, As I close, this is how it plays out for me. I have to preach the gospel to myself all the time. I did it so many times this week. I don't have to seek vengeance. Why? I trust the God of the universe who is just. I don't always need to be right in every argument. Why? Because in Christ, I am righteous. In all of these interactions, I don't have to lash out in insecurity because in Christ, my identity, not just in this life, but in eternity, is secure. I can love others well even when they sin because I know that the first part of the story is that I'm more sinful than I could even realize or articulate to you all. And at the same time, covered in Christ, I am more loved than I can ever imagine. How much have I been forgiven? In Christ, everything. Do you hear that? I believe, church, that this is really hard. But I believe that when we go about doing that, forgiving much because we have been forgiven much, This is the missional piece. I believe that this preaches, this witnesses to a world that is looking on and that I believe is desperate for forgiveness. So in a world where cancellation is called for after one mistake or one failure, the one who is in Christ lives in the deepest forgiveness. Who, church family, could forgive, and this is the term Jesus used, even forgive their enemies? The world can forgive those who love them. Only the one in Christ can forgive their enemies, the one who knows and trusts that God is just. Who can forgive and also offer blessing to those who persecute them? The one who has experienced the forgiveness that Jesus offered at the cross. Who can forgive when the world says forgiveness is impossible? The Christian who has eyes and heart entirely focused on Jesus. And I'm going to close with this verse. 
I want you to hear. Do you know how much you are forgiven? What a witness that would be, church, to the world that is desperate, that there would be a group of people constantly living in the truth of how much they have been forgiven. Man, would that set apart the Christ follower and the church from the world. I want you to see how Jesus did it. And if you need a verse to preach the gospel to yourself, this is the one I commend to you today. 1 Peter 2, 23 to 25. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Listen, church, by his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And he's a good shepherd. Yes, amen. Let's pray. Father, we lift one another up to you. And specifically as we close this service, Lord, I pray um, for all here If any have been lost in needing, desiring, craving that forgiveness, Lord, may they find it here in you today in the power of your presence, in the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray for us as a church family. Lord, may you continue to make of us a people who know who live in, who soak in how much we have been forgiven and therefore finding the truest, deepest well to go out into the world to love one another well and point to our glorious Savior. May that be our testimony, Lord. May that be what people encounter when they encounter the people of Wheaton Bible Church. It's in your most holy name that we lift one another up to you. And thank you and praise you, Father. You paid the debt that none of us could pay. And we're just grateful. We worship you.